Amen. Praise God. The title of the message today is, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. In Matthew chapter 2, the, the account of Jesus' birth, it says, And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today that uh, you sent your son Jesus. Thank you that before the foundation of the world that you had a plan. Nothing catches you off guard. When Satan rebelled and turned against you and fell taking one-third of the angels, you weren't surprised. When Adam and Eve gave in to sin in the garden, I don't believe that you were caught off guard. Jesus, we thank you today that when the Godhead met for a solution to the sin problem, that it no longer was a sin problem, it became a son solution. That as the son of God, you decided that you would step up and come and provide the solution that mankind needed through your birth and through living the life that was necessary and giving the sacrifice that was necessary for the payment of sin that through your death, one man's death, salvation might come. It was through one man's disobedience that sin came into all the world and that we all are lost, but now by one man's obedience. Lord Jesus, thank you for that, that now we have a way back to God. Heavenly Father, help us today to realize that in this time, in this season, this Christmas season, that it's more than just Yuletide thoughts and, and memories and celebrations, but really is a time that we ought to think more about you and that we ought to see you and see your star and come to worship you and to bow before you and to give of our gifts to you and acknowledge who you are. Help us today and give us wisdom and understanding as we look into your word and as we consider these things now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the wise men saw the star and says that they came to worship him. When they got to Bethlehem, you know the story, um, King Herod heard all these things, he heard about this, and so he, he called all of his wise counsel together, and he began to ask them, hey, where's this king supposed to be born? And they said, well, according to the prophets, it's in this town of Bethlehem. And so they quoted him the scripture, and, and uh, he told the, the wise men this, and uh, he told them, he said, well, look, go over there, and when you find this Christ child, when you find this new king, well, you let me know so that I too can come and worship him right. And so they went, and they found Christ, and it says in verse 11 there, Matthew chapter 2, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so God let them know what was up. Of course, the rest of this story is Herod became infuriated and he sent his men to Bethlehem and killed all the children of that age or two years old and, and younger and slaughtered as Satan has always tried to destroy the, a godly seed. But 
God had sent a dream to Joseph, the earthly father now of, of Jesus, and told him to take the child to, uh, or, and, and to leave and go into Egypt. What was interesting is, is that if he would have told him before, they didn't have any provision, but now that they did. Let's take a look at this a little closer. What I, I want us to look at today is something, the traits of these wise men. We need to be wise as well, don't we? We need to be wise in our worship. And really, this story is a story about worship. And what is worship? Worship is extreme devotion. What are you worshiping in your life? Are you extremely devoted to certain things? If you examine yourself, uh, you'll find that uh, certain things require extreme devotion. And sure, you know, we need to be extremely devoted to our family. We need to be extremely devoted to various things. And when you go about in your job, you ought to be the best employee there. You ought to do the best. But there ought to be one thing that is the center of our worship above all things, and that should be God. And... Um, Another expanded definition for worship is worship, uh, in its sense, is, is the art of knowing how to be in, the presence, in God's presence. Worship is the art of knowing how to be in the presence of God. Do we know how to be in his presence? Do we know how to get there? Do we know what to do once we get there? And, uh, you know, how, what is this thing called worship? I believe if we need an adjustment of any, any, in any area of our life, I can say that, if we need any adjustments in our life, it ought to be in the realm of our worship. If there's ever any need of improvement, it's probably always in the area of worship in our life. Sometimes we go, well, you know, I know the Word of God. I've been, I've been hearing this for years, and I've heard this message. I've heard that message. Praise God that you know everything. <laughs> No, we do. Sometimes we, we get to a point of where we think that we have heard everything and maybe we don't need any more improvement. That's probably true. Most of us don't need any adjustment in the things that we know. We need an adjustment in how we are using those things that we know to honor God and to worship Him. So we need some adjustments. And, and the thing is, you know, in a, in a service, we call this a worship service. But, you know, the only thing that God really gets out of our worship service is worship the time of worship. I mean, during the time of uh, the teaching of the Word, he is, he is the Word, right? And He blesses it, and it's His time of giving the Word to you and presenting it to you, and that's what we get out of it, is God, and through His Spirit, bringing the Word into our hearts, into our spirit, and making it alive to us. So we're getting something out of that. And, uh, you know, so the only part of a, of a service that God gets anything out of is the time of our worship. When we exalt him and lift him up, that ought to be through the time of praise when we come in. It ought to be as we enter into him. Uh, you know, he inhabits the praise of his people. So he shows up when we're praising him. And so uh, then once he gets there, what do we do? That's where we're to worship him. And worship is what we do once he shows up. And worship is a divine embrace from the the Father, the creator of all things, as he builds his throne. And we have this close love relationship with him that he embraces us. If you're not experiencing that, wow. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. <laughs> I mean, you ought to, that through worship is where we, we sense him, we experience him. We don't go by feeling, but we do feel him. And we feel him within our very spirit that flows through our soul. Our mind is flooded and our will is changed and our emotions are uplifted 
and our body begins to tingle and we begin to sense the very presence of God. Amen. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about worship today. Knowing how to be in the presence of God. And I think we can learn something from these wise men, these wise guys here today and see what they did. The first thing that they did is that uh, they began by seeking his presence. So they, they were watching for a star. They were seeking after him. And uh, they, are, they, were, they, they examined and they, they were watching. And so they saw his star. So the very first thing is they saw him uh, seeing his star. You know, that's what brings about the, even the possibility of worship is seeing him. If you don't see him, you're never going to worship him. Seeing him, then when they saw the star, they believed. They said, oh, this is the star of the king. So they were expecting, they were, they were watching, they were looking for him. Are you looking for him? When you come to a service, when you come to gather together in corporate worship, do you come to, are you watching for him? Are you watching uh, for his presence? And so that's how worship, even that there's a possibility of worship is that, of seeing him and believing that he is the king. What do you believe today? Do you believe he is the king? Do you believe that he is the Lord God Almighty? Have you seen him? <laughs> do you see him? Do you come? Are you watching for him, expecting to see him? When you do, he shows up. When you are watching and longing and loving his appearing, he shows up. The second thing about that we can learn from these wise guys, <laughs> these wise men, is that the possibility of worship is there when, you, when you're watching and you see him, but worship begins when you start to seek him. They left, it says, and it says, uh, we saw his star, so they saw him, they believed then it was the king, uh, and it says, and have come to worship him. They came to worship him. They came a long ways probably about a thousand miles from Persia as we look at the tradition and the, the thoughts uh, uh, in the past. It probably came about a thousand miles. It was a rough journey, a lot of rocky cliffs and various things through some parts of it, desert areas. On a camel, they might be able to travel five miles an hour or something like that. Coming a thousand miles, it'd take them a little while to get here. I mean, they had to be committed. They had to be sincere. Seeking, when you seek him, um, that involves some things. And, you know, I think our problem today is a lot of times we see the star, but we never really commit to seeking him. We see the stars, oh, cool, did you see that? Wow, did you see that? In fact, that's kind of where we stay. Hey, I want to see something. In fact, the Greeks in the day of Jesus, they'd come and say, we would see Jesus. In other words, they just wanted to see uh, some miracle. They wanted to see something. They wanted, you know, just kind of like, like a sideshow. They, they just wanted to see something. And that's kind of where we, st we stay. We remain in that, posi that position of just wanting to see some expression and see something cool and then go about our own business. But rarely do people get into the seeking part. They came seeking the Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, uh, said to, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He goes on to say, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its own problems. That's what he said there in Matthew 33 and 34. He says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. What does it mean to seek? If you're seeking something, what does that really entail? 
the definition of the word seek is earnest and industrious effort fueled by desire. Earnest and industrious effort. Everybody say effort. That means there's going to be some work involved in it. I know that's that four-letter word we don't like, work. There's going to be some effort involved. We don't want to exert any effort. You know, come on, Gabe. Come on, praise team. You know, get some worship going on. Get some praise going on. Y'all work hard and get it going so I can sit back and enjoy it. You know, we want it to be like a radio and turn it on and it's like, yeah, cool. You know, hit me with something. But we don't want to exert any effort. We just want to be entertained. Hello. Because we're still into the seeing his star part. Come on now. I know I don't need to preach to you. You guys are here. You've sought him out today. You've come here. It's those that didn't make it, the, the ones that we ought to be talking to. So you can go and preach this message to them. <laughs> Seeking, earnest, and industrious effort. Putting forth an effort. When was the last time we put forth an effort to worship him? Most of the time, the effort, the, the battle, the challenge on Sunday morning is we wrestle with the covers and get pinned by the sheets. You know? And we, that's the extent of it. We give up. We slap the clock, you know, and, uh, and, and go back to snooze the alarm and, and just say, oh, man, I'd go to church today, but I'm so tired. And, oh, look at the weather. I mean, if it wasn't so cold or if it wasn't so hot or if it wasn't so wet or if it wasn't so dry. I mean, if you wait for the weather to get right, especially here in Texas, you'll never worship the Lord. And by the time you get convinced that it's okay, the weather's going to change. So don't let the weather... Can you imagine when we stand before the Lord, of, we have to give an account for our deeds, and we say, well, I was afraid my hair would frizz if I got out of that. <laughs> or, or, you know, it was just so hot, and it's just like, ah, I just can't stand it, and trying to wear those church clothes and just get all sticky. And You think those are going to be going to stand up to God when we have to give those excuses? One person said excuses are like armpits. Everybody has at least two, and they both stink. I mean, sometimes we really are that, I mean, we, it just, we never really process the thought of it. And so they put forth an effort. I mean, they were out there in the wind and the storm and, and the ex exposed to all the elements of the weather, plus going across a desert and encountering, you know, rocky cliffs and various things like that. I mean, they had to put forth an effort. They were seeking the Messiah. I'm telling you something, people. If it's of no worth, if it's of no cost, it's of no worth. If, you're, if your worship doesn't cost you something, it's really of no worth in a sense. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know about that. Well, think about it then. I mean, you know, what did you have to do to get here today? I'm sure that there's other things you could be doing, right? I'm sure that, yes, this would be a day of rest, right? Well, rest in the Lord. But when you make that statement, when you really do that and you come and you're in his presence, God says, yes. That's my child. You see that? They made it. They overcame those things that, were, that could stop them, and they made it. And he says, yes. You get a big yes from God. Isn't that cool? Whether or not anything else goes right, because it's, isn't it the hardest time to ride with your, your family to church? I mean, because some you know, kids are always getting into something. They just shut up, be quiet, and sit down, and whatever, and, and or the, start to have a conversation back and forth. Uh, with the spouse and all of a sudden things, you know, get out of hand. And so you're supposed to walk into church and be all excited, right? And full of Jesus. And aren't you glad for praise and worship <laughs> that cleanses us and washes all those things away? Amen. <laughs> praise God. These men traveled a long ways. 
they came. They put forth an effort to come and to worship the Messiah. What have you overcome to worship him? I'm not just talking about this morning. But in our lives, our lives really ought to go beyond and extend beyond this set time. It ought, our lives ought to be a life of worship for the Lord. You know, our efforts really pale in comparison to these men and what they put forth, the effort that they put forth to worship. We complain about everything. And, uh, you know, everything's, nothing's right. Well, don't worry about tomorrow, for our tomorrow has enough things to worry about on its own. Well, it's not bright enough in the, in the auditorium, or it's too bright, or it's too cold, or it's too hot. It depends on where you sit. Just change chairs. Don't worry about it. Keep, find you a different seat and worship the Lord. Endure it and say, you yeah, know, I'll put up with that so I can worship Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. You know, do you think that our attitude of worship would change if we approached worship with the attitude of seeking the Lord. That I'm going, whatever it takes. And I tell you, Satan will bring some things into your pathway to try to hinder you, but when you say whatever it takes, no matter what the cost, I will praise the Lord. I will worship him. I will worship him and give myself to him. People stand in lines to go see Star Wars. Wrapped all around, you know, the, the theater, uh, People do crazy things. They'll sit in a, rest, in a restaurant for 45 minutes waiting for a table. To, you know, what is, you know, they, you do certain things that you want to do, but what did we have, you didn't have to stand in any lines today. You know, our church is comfortably filled. In other words, it means that you can stretch out in that seat and not even bother anybody sitting next to you. <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, what did it cost you? Sometimes it costs a lot to go do whatever, things that entertain us, but what about our worship? Wow. You know, it makes a difference for the praise team when you come in and you, have, you are ready, you are seeking to the Lord to worship him. Gabe didn't have to work real hard trying to stir you up. It makes a difference for the pastor preaching when you have sought the Lord and you say, no matter what, I'm going to get something that I'm going to worship God today. When you're seeking through. You know, and it's even like as the message comes, maybe not all of it's for you, so just throw that over to the person sitting behind you, like, you know, like the old pitchfork, you know. Give it to the cows behind you. Let them eat on that till you get what you want, you know, what you need. Because <laughs> a lot of times, oh, that's not for me. Well, then chunk it behind you and get ready. Yours is coming, you know. It makes it easy to preach when you're searching for something that will feed your spirit and say, I'm going to get something out of this. I remember sitting through seminars and conferences and things and going and, and in the afternoon hours where you're like going and say I'm going but I, I would say I'm going to get something out of this word today I'm going to find something in this word that's going to encourage me today I'm seeking Jesus in this thing and I'll be encouraged out of it wow I jotted down a statement only an intimate encounter with his presence can resurrect your dreams and restore you to the destiny for which you were born an intimate encounter with his presence. That's worship. Well, so worship really begins when you set your mind to seek him, to search for him. He says, when you search for him with all your heart, you will find him. When you search for God, I'm going to search for him in this word. I'm going to search for him in my spirit. I'm going to find him and I'm going to worship him. 
Worship is confirmed by bowing before him, though. So once we get into his presence, we've seen his star, we believe that he is the king. But we want to go past that observation stage, and we want to get into the seeking and searching. When we find him, what are we going to do? Yay! It's not, you know, you know, it's some little game. It's not some video game. It's like, well, okay, we got there. No, what are you going to do once you find him? Bow before him. It says in verse 11 of Matthew 2, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. In worship, we recognize what is of highest value, not ourselves, but him. Not ourselves, not our things, not someone else, not others, not our work, but God is the most valuable. That's what happens when we recognize that he is most valuable in our life. You know, pride and self-centeredness are great enemies of worship. Pride is self-centeredness. And, and um, when we think only of ourselves... You know, well, let's see, I don't know what time it is, or, or I got to do this, or I got to get that. I got to, you know, want to make sure I'm at the restaurant early so that I can have a line. I don't have to wait so long so I can get back home and I can take a nap for me and whatever. I mean, we, and when we get to thinking about me, 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 instead of him, 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 then that affects our worship. And no longer are we, we're not bowing before him. We think it, we've had this journey and we found him, now let's go off. I mean, what good does that do? I mean, he's just getting ready to embrace you and you turn around and leave. Okay, check that off my list. It's like a scavenger hunt or something. You know, great that we saw him. It was awesome that you sought him out, that you were seeking for him, but don't check it off your list yet. Now then, this is where it really is confirmed is when you begin to bow before him and to worship him. Can you imagine? Can you just see this picture in your eyes? This little humble place in Bethlehem, and here comes this this entourage of magi come, and we have boiled it down to three because they gave three gifts, but it could have been more than that. We don't know, but it was more. And, and here they come to this little place, this little humble abode to this child now, and they got this, you know, they have this entourage of, of camels, and they start bringing in these gifts and stuff, and they come in and into this little place, and they bow down. I'm sure that as they got there, they, they probably... Uh, they wanted to express their gratitude and adoration for who he is. They had sought him out. They had paid the price. They were like, this is an honor to be before the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They didn't look at the surroundings. They didn't say, oh, you know what? Okay. Eh, let's don't go there. If, if they move to Jerusalem or something like that, if he gets a bigger house, then we'll come. And, but I don't know if we should be seen around here. Maybe you felt that way when you pulled into our parking lot today. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not the grandest place, but if Jesus is there, what difference does it make? You see? And they came, and, and they didn't think about who they were. They were thinking about who he is. And bowing down is a time of where we cease to think about who we are, and we think about who he is. The, the you know... It's been said many times, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if, you have, if you're a CEO in the largest company that there is or if you are a homeless individual. When you come to Christ, there is no social status there. It's level. 
And so they didn't think of who they were. They were thinking about who he is. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He imparts his life when we lay down our life. Think of that. When we lay down our life and we surrender ourselves, that's when he begins to impart his life to us. Wow. It's times like that that we really discover what motivates us, what's behind the whole thing. You know, is it our image? Is it our whatever that, that we think about that we keep in mind? Or we just say, Lord, here I am. I bow before you. I surrender everything to you. I'm in a position of, of submission and worship before you. And I've come and I have sought you out. And I believe that you are the Lord God Almighty. And I want to give you all praise and all glory and all honor. I want to worship you. It's a time to lay down everything in his presence. They bow before him. And then there, further in, in verse 11, it says, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Worship is consummated by giving our treasures. Now, see, you know, here we go. A lot of times, well, we'll, we'll see a star. Okay, yes, I, I believe he's the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe he's the son of God. We search him out, and uh, we'll come to worship him. We'll bow down and surrender ourselves to him. But wait a minute, whoa, wait a minute. Now, you're talking about treasures now. Hold on now, just a second. You're going a little too far now. I mean, you know, my goodness, I... I put forth an effort. I'm, I'm here, aren't I? I mean, lay off the treasure stuff, right? What's up with the treasure stuff? And sometimes that, that we feel like that's just going a little too far. Sometimes we don't take that into the consideration that that's a form of our worship. How you doing in your worship? Where are you? What stage are you in? Are you still trying to decide whether that's really his star or not? Or is it maybe aliens, or is it this or that, or what, you know, what philosophy? Are you still just kind of searching and think maybe, you know? Perhaps you've settled that and you're in the seeking mode and you're searching for him, but yet you haven't quite settled in where that's going to be. Or have you got to that point of where you're bowing before him and you are acknowledging, you're surrendering yourself to him and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. And we say that, Lord, take all of me. Oh, wait a minute, not that part of me. <laughs> you know? comes to our treasures, now that's another story, right? It's getting real quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it's an easy one to remember, 16, 16. It says, no man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord, has, the Lord your God has blessed you. Hmm. Why? Pastor, why do you have to go there? Or you might be, well, see, I'm new. It's going to come up later. Sooner or later, it's going to be a treasure thing. Well, why would it be? Why would God say that? Does he need your treasure? Not really. I mean, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, it says. Maybe it's time to cash one of those cows in. You know, who's overseeing them? But treasure, what is a treasure? It's something... If you look up the definition, it's something that's much loved and uh, it's highly valued, person or a thing, something highly valued, uh, something greatly loved. It's those things that 
seem to be so important in our life that we save them, we treasure them, you know, we give them a position of honor, so to speak. We put them away and we put them uh, in a, a special place because they have a special part of our life. It's a treasure, right? A treasure. Why should a treasure, why should my treasures be part of my worship? Think about it. Where does that come into play with our worship before God? Because if we're not careful, our treasure can be the thing that we are extremely devoted to. Because when it comes right down to it, I mean, if we're going to bow before God and say, you are the king of kings, you're, you are my God, Lord, you're everything. I'm in submission to you. He says, okay, well, what about those special things? What about those treasures in your life? Is that more valuable than me? Because if God has your treasure, then he has your heart. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. We read chapter 6, 33 a while ago where it says, seek first the kingdom of God. That Matthew chapter 6, that's a tough one. Six really is the number of man, man and how God deals with man. And it's interesting to me that it's the sixth chapter of Matthew where God really lists all these things out where he's really dealing with us to see do we really worship him? Is he, is he the Lord of our life? One person said, show me your treasure and I'll show you your heart. So what are your treasures? What are those things very valuable to you? Because it could be said like this, show me your treasure and I'll show you what's really important in your life. What do you treasure? See, until our treasures are in him, then he won't be our treasure. Think about it. But see, it seems like that as long as we keep this divine thing over here and the natural thing over here, then everything's cool. It's like I can worship him. But, but there's something that what connects us really to him? Our treasures. And that's the way that we show him that we love him, that we value him. Have you ever considered these gifts that these men brought? So they brought three, gold, frankincense or incense and myrrh. You know, they weren't just tokens of their uh, courtesy to some, someone or something. I mean, these were extreme gifts. Uh, you know, they were valuable. They weren't a, they weren't a tip, you know. Uh, it, it wasn't a tip. It was, uh, they, these were extreme gifts. They were their treasures, treasures of their heart. Uh, that they really presented to this newborn king. Oh, he's a baby. He won't know anyway. Let's see. Why don't you get some trinkets? Don't get the real good stuff. Right? <laughs> they could have said that. Oh, he'll be fascinated by this. So don't get the real good stuff. You know, let's just do this. Hmm. Oh, look, God. Hey, I know you like this. I think we've got beads and little things, little things that we're going to try to appease God with. You don't think God really knows what our treasures are? says he knows the very thoughts and intents of our heart. And then what do we usually come to God asking him to help us with? The things that are most important to our lives. Our kids, our family, our marriage, our health, our money, right? And so we're always asking him to help us with these things that we treasure in our life because they're still ours. And we're holding on to them and we don't give them to him. We just might want to open the door and let him check it out and help us get them to be more valuable. 
increase my investment, God, or increase this, or in help me get a, a raise, God. And he says, okay, we're really not in this thing together, are we? That's kind of your stuff. They brought gold to him. What is gold a figure of? In, in the Bible, it's a symbol of great value. It's really a symbol of earthly uh, money. It's, 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 your, it's, it's your money. It's your, your wealth. Your, it's what you have. It's, it's, you know, it means that. It's also then symbolically, uh, uh, it can mean... Endurance, because gold is the, one of the most enduring metals that there is. It doesn't tarnish, and it really doesn't lose its value. It's incorruptible in the sense that it can be in various elements. If you buried it in the ground and you come back a thousand years later, wouldn't, isn't that right, Charlie? It'd still be gold. I mean, it wouldn't be corrupted by those things around. You know, that's, it's, it's a symbol of our spirit, that our spirit should be incorruptible, that, that uh, the things around us shouldn't corrupt us. How solid are you in your life? Are you walking around fearful that things, the elements around you, the people around you, can they corrupt you? That's why we need to be solid in God, right? We need to, our divine life is such that, that we are, cannot be corrupted, that there, it's, it's enduring in its properties. But this really was, though, what they brought was financial security to, to God. They brought their wealth to God. They brought money, in a sense. That was the money of exchange, and they brought that to him. See, that gets, we, we want it to be symbolic. We don't want to say, you know, hey, bring your money to God. He don't need my money. He don't need my gold, so to speak. He doesn't need that. Yes, he does. He does? See, if they hadn't brought that gold, Joseph wouldn't have been able to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt where they needed to go because when they were there, that's what provided for them the whole time that they were there. It provided for the ministry that Joseph, Joseph was entrusted to, with to take care of Christ in those places that he went, and that's what provided for them, these gifts. See, when you bring your money into his house, you know, they went into his house that day. When you come into his house today and you bring your money, it goes for provision for us to be able to do what he's called us to do, to go into the Egypt of our uh, setting today, in this, in this setting in our world today, to go and to do what he's called us to do. He never called us to sit, he called us to go. And when you go and you do something, it costs money, right? I mean, it, they had expenses. They had to give up their household there. They had expenses of traveling and doing what they needed to do. It cost money. And so when they came, they brought that and they laid it before him, and that's what enabled them to do what God had for them to do. And so it's the same way today. When you bring your treasure to the house of God, it helps to enable that ministry there, to the ministry for Jesus and the oversight of his, of his ministry to those that he would come in contact with. He was a child, but he was going to, you know, where he went, what he did. It's the same thing in our life today. When you bring your money into, and I'm going to say money so that we understand, into the, his house today, it enables this church, this ministry to do what has been entrusted to us to take care of Christ today in his ministry to this world. So it does mean that. And that's part of worship because it's our treasure. And where our treasure is, there our heart is. And God wants our heart. And when our heart then is connected to him and is what is best for him, not necessarily what's best for us, then something happens and it changes. Because then it's, then it's a point of like, do we, do we have to be, do we worry about it? No. We have to, when we are worshiping, we don't have to worry about it, then do we? 
I'm sure that they made it home just fine. They left and they, they went home by another route. They weren't worried like, well, you know, we ought to hold back a little bit of this gold and stuff, you know. Might have, now that the king's all involved in this, we're going to have to go a whole different route. We can't just go back the way that we, we're going to have to. So we don't know what we're going to entail. We might ought to hold a little of this back. Don't give him the whole gift. Ooh, I know a couple named Ananias and Sapphira that had some questions about the gift that they were to give, and that didn't go over too well with them. I mean, you know the story. If you don't, well, they didn't make it out. <laughs> they didn't make it out alive. Then they gave incense. This incense is a figure. It's symbolic of ascending prayer and praise. It was valuable as well, and it represented something in worship. It, it ascends up and goes, you know, we need to, as we come into God, and as we do provide, give him our treasure and give him our, our finances in a sense, and we, we show that we're giving him our finances by our gifts that we give and bring into his house, then we can give praise and thanksgiving and prayer with a confident uh, assurance that God's taking care of us. And it's not just our finances. Now we brought him into it. It's his finances. And so, God, the way that you've chosen to bless me, you're involved in this thing now because I've connected you to this. And we're connected. And I'm showing that I honor you. And so we're connected in this. And so now, then, God's part of this, what you bring into his house. He's part of your finances. And so when your prayer and your praise goes up, it can be thanksgiving to him. Instead of like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I can meet my, my bills. And it's, in other words, it can change to the Lord. I thank you that you're my supplier. I thank you that you provide for me. I thank you that you supply all my needs according to your riches and glory because we're connected now. And so, Lord, uh, I don't have to worry about how you're going to take care of these things, the, the bill, your bills that are coming due, because I'm just overseeing these things because they belong to you. It's your house. It's your car. It's your washing machine. It's your dishwasher that's clattering real hard. So, Lord, just I thank you that I don't have to worry about it. You're going to take care of it. Our prayers change. Our praise changes. Thank you, Lord, that you've got it all under control. Thank you, Lord. And it becomes adoration and thanksgiving for him. It's not worry. It's, it's, it is prayer. It's intercession. It's petition before God and praise and thanksgiving. If you haven't experienced that, it's because you haven't given him the first portion of your treasure. Those things that are valuable to you, your money and your, and your, your, your kids and your family and your marriage and, and then those things, your car and your house and the things that you're having to pay money for. You haven't given those to God in the sense of being a steward over those things. If somebody says, do you own your own home? No, I mean, me and God own it, you know. That's the only partnership that's really recognized other than marriage. So, you know, I'm so thankful I'm in partnership with God. So he's, I got a great partner. <laughs> he can handle it, man. I tell you, oh, wow. When I get a little nervous, I just think about who he is, and he's got it all under control. And so uh, he's never let me down. So this, it changes. And so this incense that, rep, that ascends before God can change to prayer and thanksgiving and adoration for who he is. And then there's the myrrh, the myrrh. When was the last time somebody brought you a gift of myrrh? Really, myrrh is kind of morbid in a sense because it's what they used to embalm bodies with. It's what they used in times of death, and it represented death. And it's a, it, it, was a, it, it was really involved in anointing the dead. It's kind of a, it is kind of morbid, isn't it? It represents mortality, that this life is fragile. 
that, that uh, you know, it represents suffering. It represents death. Ugh. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for the gold and, and the incense. That's pretty cool, but what are we going to do with this myrrh? <laughs> myrrh was very valuable, really it was, um, in that particular day, so they could sell it. And, uh, but what it represented to is dying to ourself, and uh, it, it speaks of repentance of dead works. And so really, as we come and we bow before him and we present our treasures, the myrrh portion of that is dying to ourself and saying, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. This life that I live, I live, you know, here in this body, it's, you know, the old's passed away. Things are becoming new, but, but you know, this is not what it's all about. This is not the end. I die to myself and my own desires and my own things, I die to that and I put off the old so that I can put on the new. That's what it represents. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, and the first two verses, listen to this, these verses and you'll kind of get an idea of what the, the myrrh represents. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's only when we die to ourselves. It's only as we give ourselves as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Wow. It's alive when we get there. We offer it up as a sacrifice. But you know what? We get up and we're still alive. But we've died to our own ruling over ourselves and we become a living sacrifice in the sense that now then we are alive, but we are alive unto God. Now think about it. People say, oh Lord, I'd die for you. Lord, I'd die for you. Well, that's great, but what he wants you to do and what's harder is for you to live for him. Amen. So when we come and we die to ourselves, but we are alive to God now, we're saying, Lord, I'm a sacrifice to you. I'm no longer mine. I'm yours. Now then you use me for what you would have what you need me to do. You use me. I'm yours. I'm yours. I, I've sacrificed myself. Now I belong to you 100%. Now then, I'm a living sacrifice. And he can use me for what he desires to use me for. Wow. It'd be better off if you'd just die, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sometimes we think that, but it's not. You know, what am I, a prisoner of war? No. <laughs> not in his camp. No. You know, well, just go ahead and shoot me. No, you got the wrong idea. Some people think that when they do that, well, and that's why that they put off a relationship with the Lord for so long. Because, well, you know, everything will be over when I come to him. You know, I can't do this and I can't do that anymore. And I'll never, no longer be able to go do such and such like I used to. Oh, really? But, you know, when you're really in him, some of those things that you used to do, you don't like to do anyway, right? How I many you know what I'm talking about? When you'd wake up the next morning after you thought you had a really fun evening, you know, maybe you put your face in places that it shouldn't have been when you were throwing up from the stuff you put into your body that you thought was fun. I'm having fun. If it kills me, I'm going to have fun. <laughs> and it just about killed you, you know. I mean, so those are the things that you want to do. <laughs> and Satan tries to make us think that they're so wonderful. But you know, when you think back, it's like, man, I can't believe I used to do that. I can't believe I did that, Right? And so what we think is so 
that we're going to have to be, it's so much that we're going to have to give up is really nothing at all. A living sacrifice. So when was the last time you came and you bowed before him and you presented yourself to him as a living sacrifice? Wow. This is what really consummates our worship. We see a star. We see him and we say, oh, yes, you know what? I, I, I know that, hey, that's Jesus. He is the Son of God. But then beyond that, we need to be seeking him, searching for him, and whatever it takes to, to find him and to worship him in, in our life. But when you get there in his presence, that's when we bow down before him, surrendering before him and laying our pride and our self-centeredness aside so that we can present to him our gifts, our treasures, our money, our finances, you know, and our prayer and our, our worries. Instead of, you know, worry is the opposite of prayer. Praying is when you, it goes over and over within you and you're, you're thinking about it and you're presenting it and you're praying and you're pulling that before God. Worry is the same thing. It's you're going over and over and over and thinking about, oh no, it's going to get bad. And, and so then you're just constantly rolling it through. That's just, you know, worry is the opposite of prayer. Fear is the opposite of faith because you're, you're believing that that thing's going to happen. But faith is you believing that that thing's going to happen. And so when you're bowing before him, you are surrendering those things and saying, no, not me anymore. You know, it's going to be prayer and praise and thanksgiving, not worry and, and fear and negative thoughts and, 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 and words coming out of my mouth. And then presenting our treasures to him, giving him our finances, giving him our money and seeing that, that uh, you know, it is our watch. It's our time now. We're entrusted to this ministry, Light Christian Center. And when God looks down over the history of Light Christian Center and what the, this church has done with his mission and, and what he's entrusted this church to do, when it comes to that time period that it was us during this particular set of years, what report will come back? Did we excel or did we hold back? And it's all going to depend upon what we do, our treasures that we give to him. That's what it all boils down to. What was our investment into this ministry? Because what we invest into it is what we get out of it. And so God's going to look at that time period of when it was our, it's our time now. You know, it's our watch. And they always say, not on my watch. Well, have we said that lately? Not on my watch. No, it's my time now. And when the history comes of this ministry before God, and he looks, and, and all of us of Light Christian Center stand before him to give an account, because we will. Individually, collectively, we'll have to give an account of what we did with him what will be that word? There are some that came in. We, dear sister Jenny Alvarado, you know, we had her funeral this Friday. She was a charter member, a founding member of this church, you know, and there was a time that she was involved. And so there'll be a certain time, you know, those that were here at this particular phase of Light Christian Center, then these that were in this particular phase, and then these that are in this phase, you know, and, and who knows when the coming of the Lord is. So what will be the reckoning of God? when he looks over what our account is for it. It depends upon our investment back into here. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we don't want to miss this thing about worship. These wise men, they really did show us a way, a way to worship you. They saw the star. They sought you out. They bowed.